What are we going to be talking about for the next three weeks? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to be talking about loneliness. Okay, we're going to be talking about loneliness. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to respond by raising your hand. Okay? I want you to respond by raising your hand. In the last five years, okay, in the last five years, have you ever thought or said out loud, I'm lonely? Anybody? Okay. Ever thought, felt like, or said out loud, I'm lonely, I'm alone, I feel lonely, right? Um, I have heard this more in the last probably three to six months as your pastor um, than I care to mention. It is rampant. Um, and, and, and in full disclosure, I have felt this intensely lately. My family and I have felt this intensely lately. Just this, this feeling of, of, of loneliness. Now, that's not a shame thing. Okay, That's, in fact, a lot of what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks um, in loneliness is shame. Because a lot of us shame ourselves so bigly, so much, that, we, that we're not relatable that we're not relatable and we can't feel love and we can't feel friendship because we don't feel worthy of it because of past shame or current shame, okay? We're going to get there, all right? But, but the, this, this loneliness thing, and it got me thinking as to, man, why are we so lonely? Why are we so lonely? So I want to do something this morning. I think, I think, I think a lot of you are sitting around somebody, even if they're in front of you, because some of you are a lot like me. You like your space. And so even if you're sitting next to somebody, if you're with somebody, you're probably sitting a seat apart, right? I mean, you don't go to a movie theater, at least pre-COVID. I didn't go to a movie theater. I can't tell you the last time I've been to a movie theater, but uh, I didn't go to a movie theater and me and Dylan and a couple other guys and, and sit like in four seats. No, we would take up like 16 seats. I mean, you got to have your, you got to have your space, you know, some elbow room. If somebody comes and sits right next to you, they're trying to get a little too cozy, you know what I'm saying? And so, and so, uh, and so, and so I get that, but, there's, but, but we're, we're, we're in, we're in, and so I want to ask you to take a step of faith this morning. We're in kind of close proximity with some people, even if you're, you know, you're here alone or you're sitting alone, it's okay, you're in, I'm, I'm looking around, nobody's like out on an island this morning, okay? Um, I want you to look at your neighbor and say something. Now, I put, the, I put this phrase together completely by myself. I want you to look at your neighbor Okay, if you're close with them, you can pat them on the back, you know, maybe pat them on the knee, something like that. But I want you to look at your neighbor and, and look them in the eye and say, you've got a friend in me. <laughs> come on, come on, do it now. If you've got to turn around, if you've got to tap somebody in front of you, okay, this is group participation. Okay, you've got a friend in me. All right, you've got to move around maybe. Okay, you've got a friend in me. Wow, some of y'all are having way too much fun with this, all right? You've got a friend in me. Now, does, does not everybody, now let me just ask you, let me just ask you, okay, shh, okay. Stop being friends, okay. <laughs> let me just ask you, how many of you just feeling the love right now, right? You're just feeling the love. All right, let's pray and go home. No, don't get your hopes up. Okay. Right? But, but you just feel closely. An, an American sociology, uh, sociological excuse me, review recently put out said that the average person today, you ready for this? The average person today. Now, you might feel average, you might feel above average, you might feel below average, but don't, again, don't feel shame here. None of this is to shame us this morning. It's because of Christ. We just read that in Christ alone. We just sang that. But the average person today has only two friends. With, when, they, when they're asked, they consider themselves as having two friends. 25% of people asked, of people polled, 25% said they had no friends. Said they had no friends. Said they had zero friends. Okay? Said they had no friends. Um, this is birth because that, that causes me to ask myself the question, right? Why don't we have any friends? Like, what's the deal? Now, some, some of you are like, that's great. I love having no friends. And I would say you're lying to yourself and everybody around you. Bless your heart. 
But there's, but there's two stories I want to tell you before we get to Matthew chapter 26 that broke my heart this past week. And I was like, I've got to use these. I've got a friend who is a third generation pastor. And his dad has been in ministry. He's pastored for 50 years. 50 years. Uh, actually, over 50 years now, because this, this story is about 18 months old. But it is like 50th anniversary pastoral ministry gathering, get together. His son came and, and, and asked him and said, Dad, who is your closest friend? Like, you've been in ministry 50 years. Dad, who's your closest friend? I just want to know who your closest friend is. And his dad kind of sat back in a seat and kind of took a le leg and put over the other one and looked back at his son and said, you know what, son? I don't have any friends. 50 years in pastoral ministry, church after church after church after church, would say he didn't have any friends. I was talking to a, another friend of mine the other day, and he had just attended a funeral um, for his, his brother-in-law's dad. And, uh, and, and brother-in-law's dad was named, was named Jim. And, and, uh, and Jim was, um, was a Vietnam veteran uh, and, and passed away from complications with Agent Orange and, and things like that. And, uh, and, and the family is, is gathering, right, at the visitation and at the memorial service um, to, to, you know, to remember Jim. And people that they had never met uh, attended, and, and some people that Jim served with attended the, the service. And, um, and as the family is, is gathered around, uh, they, they were talking about Jim. Now, his family always wondered, because there were reports that they did in school and, and all of those things, they always wondered why, why dad always shut down whenever Vietnam War came up. Because he was he told that his, his whole family that he was a helicopter mechanic, okay? He was a helicopter mechanic. Now, last Sunday, a week ago, his whole family found out that, in fact, dad was a helicopter gunman. And he had spent his entire life telling other people because he didn't want to deal with the shame. He didn't want to deal with the things that that, uh, that the, he had done and that he had dealt with years and years and years ago, he had told them something different than what was reality. And so now his family refers to him days after his passing as Lying Jim. Isn't that sad? What's the lie you're living? Because the reality is for many of us, the reason our loneliness is so present, is so real, is because we never allow ourselves to be known. I'm reading a book right now called The Relational Soul. It's incredible. I highly recommend it. In fact, if I could just preach that book and there, there was no such thing as plagiarism or anything like that, I probably would. Um, I'm not. Uh, in fact, a, a lot of it we're not even using at all today. It'll be next week. And so if you really want to Google plagiarism, it'll be next week. Um, so, um, but, but in there, uh, the author says, how we relate is how we relate. That how we relate is how we relate. And what he means and what, what, he, what he spends the first two chapters uh, uh, talking about is this, that how we are brought up, how we are raised to relate as individuals is how we relate to God. And so in doing that, if we're talking about being known, right, how we relate to one another, whether that's absent, whether that's secretive, whether that's, all right, I'm going to let you in about mm, 40%, okay, all right, uh, and, and, and every year that you decide to be my friend, I'll give you another 5%, right, and so you stick around me for 12 years, we might get to that 100%, but you got to stick around, pal, okay, right, if, if that's the way that we approach and how we relate to one another in life, guess what, that's how we're going to relate to God, and so many of us are like, oh, yeah. He knows me. No, that's just us. That's just how we're wired. That's how we're created. You know why? You know how I know that? Because God created us to be known. 
His desire for you is to be known. Is to be known by the people that you're sitting around that you just looked at and said, you've got a friend in me. Right? He, he desires you to be known by Him who created you and by His Son who died for you and by His Holy Spirit who promises to be with you every day and who gives you power, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. He desires you to be known by Him and by other people. Now, here's the best part. Well, I don't know if I can say it's the best part. Here's another cool part. Okay? Is that that's why He instituted this. That's why we have the church. It's to be known. And to know both Him and to have a group of people that are like-minded in faith to be known by and to know. So that we're not alone. So that we're not alone. My fear for you as your pastor is that you would get 50 years into anything after being in a room like this and say, you know what, son? I don't have any friends. My deepest fear, my deepest fear for you is to get into eternity and your family to know you as lying Jim. To know me as lying Travis. Especially when we sit week after week after week among a group of people desiring the same thing. I have talked to so many people. That's why this just bubbled up and I couldn't keep it down any longer. It's almost like God's in control. I've talked to so many people over the last three months. And this statement came out of their mouth. I just wish I had a friend. I just wish I had a friend. I just wish I had somebody I could talk to. I just wish, I just wish, I just wish. Now, the reality is, and I'm sure many of you are thinking, well, they probably do, Pastor. You just, need to, you just need to communicate with them. But I know. Like, I get it. The realities we probably do. But where do the feelings come from? Where do the lies of the devil come from that make us believe that we live in such loneliness? Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 46. Does anybody agree? Anybody identify? With any of that? Okay, a couple hands. All right, good. I, sometimes when you preach on a felt need, you want to make sure it's actually a felt need. Um, so Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. I'm going to start with Jesus because I think that's a good place to start. Then Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Underline watch, star that, because it's very important in the context of this passage. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now what's Jesus doing here? He's headed to the cross and he's, he's praying. He's having this moment of humanity, knowing the pain, knowing the suffering that is coming, that he's asking daddy, he's asking father to take this cup from me. God, if it's, if it's possible, you know my heart is willing, you know my heart is faithful. If it's possible, would you take this cup from me? Because he's recognizing what's coming. He's, he's coming to the realization that the time is near and is coming where he is going to be crucified. But he says there, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Now why is that a problem? Because he asked them to watch. He asked them to stay awake. And, fell, and, and, and fell asleep. And they fell asleep. Um, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? 
Verse 41 gives him another chance. Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he's coming in line with his father. That's the point of prayer is to align our will with his will. Verse 43, and again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. They're tired. And so he found them sleeping. Verse 44, so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later. Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because this has kind of been uh, super real to me. What happens next is Judas comes back with the soldiers and they capture Jesus. This is the last interaction, this side of eternity for Jesus, right? That before his resurrection, this is the last interaction that his disciples have with Jesus that they fell asleep on him twice after he'd asked them to stay awake. Now, now, some of you are probably thinking, yep, I know that person, right? I've asked them to be with me. They have, they've promised to hang with me. They've promised to stay with me. And then, and then they just, they, they left. And it was easy for them, wasn't it? It was easy for them, right? It was easy for them. Betrayal um, is, 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 is a heavy thing. We're going we're gonna to talk about that uh, more next week as well, uh, also this week. But here's the truth. Get friendships right Get friendships right, and it will set you up for success in every area. But if we get them wrong, more pain and destruction than we can imagine. Even despite our best efforts, there are, time, there are times when relationships can go wrong. Right? We've seen that. We've had that happen. And Jesus had poured his heart out to his friends. Certainly, he tried to do everything right in respect to his relationship with them. Yet Jesus experienced the sorrow associated with relationships because his friends fell asleep. His friends fell asleep. I mean, they were just fighting recently over who's the best. And Jesus, all-knowing, would have been more quick on his feet, the one that can stay awake. Right? But Jesus had experienced that. And so, when relationships go wrong, we need to do three things. Number one, we've got to face the hurt. We've got to face the hurt. Look at verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He's facing the hurt. Then he goes back and finds them asleep. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation after falling them asleep. The, fe- the, 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 the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you know that before a physician can facilitate healing in our body, we must first acknowledge our need to be made well? Right? We must first acknowledge our need in order to be made well. Now, sometimes... Uh, sometimes that need is pretty obvious, right? Sometimes that need is pretty obvious. Um, Dan has an open gash on his forehead. He walks in to an urgent care right now with that Band-Aid off. We're going to know, right? In fact, you should probably go to urgent care. I'm just, as a friend, right? Let me just tell you, okay? They're going to know, right? A compound fracture which compound fracture, help me out, Nick, isn't that where the bone leaves the skin? That's an open fracture, same thing. Okay. He's like, no, it's not the same thing, pal. I paid a lot more money for school than you did. Okay, right? It's an open fracture, right? You don't walk in, well, first of all, you're probably not walking, right? But a doctor doesn't run out to you uh, or, or someone and, and say, uh, man, what's the problem, right? When your shin is outside of your... You get the picture. Some of you are getting it all too clearly. Okay? Um, but, 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 but we've got to first acknowledge our need to be made well. So here's the truth. Before God can be free to work in our lives, to heal our hearts, or to heal a relationship, we've got to acknowledge the need for that to happen. We've got to face the hurt. 
Jesus, here in the passage, didn't minimize his pain, did he? He didn't minimize his pain. He didn't try to deny his pain. He didn't try to explain away his pain. And the truth is, we must not either. We can't. We can't. The second thing we've got to do is face the truth. We've got to face the hurt, then we've got to face the truth. Now we're going to spend a little bit more time here. Look at verses 39 through 41. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So the first thing we got to do when it comes to facing the truth is we've got to be honest with the Father. That's where we've got to start. Right? We've got to be honest with the Father. Jesus was absolutely honest with his Father, with, with God, about his feelings. He was willing to submit to whatever the Father had in mind for him. But likewise, whenever we're in a situation where a relationship has gone wrong, we need to be honest and pour out our feelings to the Father to seek to submit whatever he has in mind for us in that situation. And while it's true in every day that we live, it's especially true in those days that we're dealing with the hurt resulting from a relationship gone wrong, that we need the Lord to reveal to us what's gone wrong and what we're to do about it. And in a spirit of honesty and humility that we see Jesus model, we need to pray what's prayed in Psalm chapter 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Try me and know my thoughts. And when we do this, guess what? God gives light into our situation. And we can walk into that light. We can see healing come to our hearts and possibly to the relationship that's gone wrong as well. But we've got to be willing to walk in the light that God gives. I read this past week about a pastor who uh, was preaching a series of sermons on guidance preaching a series of sermons on guidance. Some of you will love this. And in the last message, he encouraged folks by saying, follow the principles I've laid before you. These three things. Follow, follow these principles I've laid before you. And he said, let me know what, it hap- what happens when you do it. Right? Test these things. Let me know. Come back and report after following these principles. And so weeks later, he noticed that, uh, that one person who had been attending during that sermon series on guidance wasn't coming. They'd stopped coming. And so he decided to contact them. And he asked why they hadn't been to church in a while. And and their response was they were disappointed when they applied the principles that he had preached on in a sermon series on guidance. That that, that they were disappointed. And, uh, And he said, what happened? He asked. Did you receive any guidance? And they responded, well, yeah, I did. It came to me that I ought to write to my sister-in-law, who I haven't spoken with in several years. And the pastor said, well, what's the problem? And they replied, you don't understand. The problem is, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. There's an acrostic with ego. There's an acrostic with ego, edging God out. You like that? Edging God out. And we've got to be careful not to let our ego keep us from experiencing healing in our heart and possibly our relationships. Let's not edge God out of our relationships. Let our ego get the best of us when it comes to relationships. So not only do we need to be honest with the Father, but secondly, we've got to be honest with our failures. Be honest about our failures. Because in all relationship issues, and, and, and I, I do this, I do this almost with anything in life, right? There's the possibility, I said this to somebody this morning, there's the possibility, not likely, but it's possible in a situation that I could be wrong. It's possible. I will leave the door cracked of that possibility. You know, most conflicts are never resolved because one or both of the people aren't willing to admit that they might actually be wrong. I, I coach basketball all the time. And, and referee, do we have any referees in here? I just want to be sensitive. Are you really? 
Let's move on. Um, <laughs> I, coach, I coach basketball a lot, right? And referees, probably not you, make bad calls. It's impossible for, for a referee to see the entire court. Now, I know that now. I used to be a lot less forgiving than I am now. But you know what's enough for me when, when someone makes a bad call? I, I had this happen yesterday, right? I, uh, <laughs> I, I made a comment as the referee was running past. I was like, you missed that one. And he looked back at me and said, I did. I'm sorry about that. I'll get you another one right here. That's awesome. <laughs> he admitted his wrong. And he made it right. He made another bad call <laughs> on the other end of the court that I shouldn't have gotten. That was awesome. I was like, this is, this is reconciliation right here. Like, this is beautiful. Can we just have a moment and pray together? Right? No. <laughs> right? But it was just it was a beautiful moment. Right? He admitted his wrong. We've got to be honest about our failures. It is possible in a situation that you could be wrong. It's rare when the fault is entirely on one side, isn't it? Look at verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, could you not watch with me for one hour? Could you not just, could you not just stay awake one hour could you not just hang in there for one hour? A more common occasion is when we're guilty of jumping to conclusions. I want to read this story to you. A woman invited her friends over for dinner, and she wanted to impress them big time. So she hired a maid, she hired a butler, a chef. She purchased the best steaks she could find. I'm in, aren't you? And a top brand of mushrooms to go with them. Now, you could leave those out anyway. Okay, if you invite me over to dinner, which you should, okay, steaks, but you can just leave the mushrooms out, all right? That's fine with me, okay? But when the chef that she had hired saw the mushrooms were a bit discolored, the lady said, just love this story, to feed a few to the dog. I'm just reading this. This is not my story. So some of you dog lovers, I'm with you, Okay. Since the hour was late and there was no time to purchase anymore, and she said, if the dog gets sick, we won't serve him. But if the dog doesn't get sick, they're probably fine. So the dog ate the mushrooms, no problem. And so the chef completed the meal and served the guests. As the dessert was served, the maid came and whispered to the lady, the dog's dead. So she jumped up and told everyone that had eaten the tainted mushrooms that they needed to be rushed to the hospital. Later, after everyone had returned from having their stomachs pumped, the lady asked the maid, where's the dog? And she said, out in the backyard, where he crawled after the car hit him. Why would you share this story, Pastor? My kid's in the room. Investigate a matter thoroughly before you leap to hasty conclusions that result in harsh consequences. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't believe that someone's over there having a conversation that they're talking about you. There's a million other things that they could talk about. Someone told me, don't give yourself that credit. More often than not, blame is shared. And so even so, our primary concern ought to be how we contributed to the situation and what we might to do to make things right. One more, one more to prove this point, to be honest about our failures, because we don't want to be like Lucy was with Charlie Brown, do we? One day, Lucy was leaning against the fence with Charlie and said, I'd like to change the world. And Charlie Brown said, where would you start? And Lucy looked back at Charlie Brown and said, I'd start with you. 
and evaluating where the blame lies in any relationship that's gone wrong. I just thought all three of those were so worthy to be shared in the same point. Typically, I don't do three stories in one point, but I just thought all three of those were too good not to be shared. In evaluating where the blame lies in any relationship that's gone wrong, I must understand that confession must come before confrontation. Confession must come before confrontation. It was only after Jesus had spent time with the Father. It was only after He had gone to His Father and prayed that He confronted His friends with their failure. It was only after He had gone to to, to God and said, God, take this cup. Take this cup. If it's in your will, God, but whatever you want, if it's in your will, that He confronted His friends with their failure. We've got to follow that example. So be honest about our failures. And then lastly, lastly, on this point, verse 41, be honest about your flaws. While Jesus confronted his friends about their failure, he also made note of the imperfection of all people. Now again, Jesus was perfect and sinless, and so it's almost unfair for us to start here when it comes to friendships with Jesus but Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1, imitate Christ, therefore, as his dear children. So we should be imitators of Christ in relationships. Be the friend that we want to be, right? That's our aim. That's our goal. But if Jesus, who was perfect in every way, was willing to acknowledge that others would let him down because they were imperfect, how much more should we? How much more should we come to grips with the fact that not everyone can hold up, it's not, impo- it's not possible, it's not humanly possible for you to be a friend that is not going to let someone down. I've said it before, I will say it again. It is not possible for me as your pastor to not let you down. I will let you down. If it has not happened yet, family, buckle your seatbelt. It's probably coming. It's probably coming. Where I will let you down. You will send me a text message I haven't responded to it. An email, I haven't responded to it. A Facebook message, I haven't responded to it. There are so many platforms of communication to keep up with. That's not an excuse, it's just a reality. If I haven't let you down, it's coming. Ask the people around you. Why are you nodding your head? Don't nod your head. That's rude. Apparently you can ask this side of the room and they will tell you. Just how I let you down or let them down, right? Here's the truth. I love this. We want to judge others by performance while we want to be judged by our intentions. That's an anonymous quote, so feel free to put Travis Bush right there. We want to judge others by performance while we want to be judged by intention. And we need to realize that each of us is an imperfect human being who is prone to failure. And so therefore, as God extends grace to us, we should extend grace to one another. Extending grace toward those who hurt us means that I must be willing to do number three. Forgive. Now, I can own my flaws, right? I can, I can be honest about my flaws. I can be open about my insufficiencies. But when it comes to forgiveness, this is where it gets real. Look at verses 45 and 46. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep later. Sleep and take your rest later on. The hour's at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer's at hand. Jesus, I almost wish, I almost wish here that Jesus would have given us a, 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 a message, right? A statement at least. Give us something that you said to these guys who fell asleep on you, not once, but twice, these, these, these that considered themselves, right, the, the, all throughout Scripture, you took them to the transfiguration. Like you, you set these three apart, and now on your way to the cross, when you need them the most, 
They fall asleep on you. Again, not once, but twice. Give us something here where we can shame each other when they fall asleep on us. When they turn their backs on us. But what does he do? Get up. You're not perfect. You let me down. But we're still together. And there's still a job to do. The job that each and every one of us have been put on this earth to do, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, is far bigger, is far greater. The job that was in front of Jesus that none of us will face going to the cross Right? The, 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 the weight that was ahead of him was so great. Peter couldn't have ever fathomed it. He didn't know. He, Jesus had been sharing, but, but, but Peter wasn't meant to feel the weight of what Jesus was going to experience. The friendships in your life aren't meant to feel the weight that you experience in your life. God has that for you. And so some of you want your relationships around you to feel the weight that they're never intended to experience. They're never intended to lift that bar. God wants you to. He wants you to. He's put that in front of you, not them. Not them. Now, can they stay awake and support you and spot you and all those things and, 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 and from, from Ezra hold the spit bucket in the corner for you? Sure, they can. But they're imperfect. And they're not going to do that perfectly. They're not going to do it. They can't read your mind and know exactly what you want from them. And so I wish Jesus would have preached a sermon here or something before Judas and the soldiers showed up to take him away and the whole cutting of the ear thing and all that stuff and then Jesus healing the ear and then going to uh, Caiaphas' house and the back and forth and, and then ultimately the, 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 the torture and the crucifixion and all those things and then the resurrection and then Jesus restores and Peter and then Jesus ascends into heaven and then Peter goes on and establishes the church, right? This wasn't held. It's never mentioned again. The emptiness of his friends falling asleep was not held over their head. Jesus, Jesus wasn't resurrected and went to Peter when Peter was fishing and calls him over to the, to the beach and makes him breakfast and, and, and he restores him. Why does he restore him? Because he denied him, not because he fell asleep on him. What do I mean? Some of you might have seen this before. How heavy is this bottle of water? You want to know how heavy it is? You don't? You want to know how heavy it is? Here, catch it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> how heavy is it? It's, I'll give you a hint. It's a 32-ounce bottle of water. 32 ounces? But you've got to count the weight of the bottle. The truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter how much the bottle weighs, does it? What matters what matters is how long I hold on to it. Because I can hold on to it long enough to take a sip of water. I can hold on long to it long enough to tell an illustration. But if I hold on to this bottle of water for the next hour or two hours, I'm going to start to feel it. I should probably put it in this hand because that's the stronger side. Right. I hold on to this water bottle for five or six hours. I'm going to really feel it. And eventually I'll get to a place where I can't hold on to this bottle of water any longer and it will certainly be too heavy. Right now it's pretty light. Right now I feel like I could, I could toss it to a few of you. Right? We could play football with it. Play catch. Right? But the longer I hold on to this, the heavier it gets. The longer we hold on to the offenses that people have done to us, the heavier they get and the harder they get to forgive Jesus modeled this. Hey, you guys fell asleep. You couldn't stay awake with me for an hour? Come on. Sleep later on. But get up. Let's go. There's a job to do. Get up. Let's go. 
There's a job to do. And if you're anything like me, that's just not enough. Because they should feel the weight of this bottle more than that. Because I've had to carry this thing, right? They should feel, right? They should, they should sense this. They should know. And so I'm going to shut down on them for a couple hours and really let them have it. Right? That's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, nope. You know what? It's not worth it. I'm going to forgive you. Because there's more at stake than this. There's more at stake than this. And so for some of us, our loneliness comes from how long we're holding on to the water bottle. Because we've held it so long that we're paralyzed. from doing anything else than feeling the hurt and the anger that that person that probably has no idea that they've done that has caused you. We've got to forgive. On the cross, Jesus made a choice to forgive His offenders. And He was able to do that because he allowed the Father to help him face the hurt and the truth about the situation. Amen. So my question for you this morning is have you dealt with the hurt experienced through a relationship gone wrong? Have you gone to God with it? And in the spirit of honesty and humility, asked him to reveal where you might have failed and where you might be imperfect. And it's only as I face the hurt and allow God to lead me to face the truth of the situation that I'm enabled to forgive. And as I'm able to forgive, healing can come to the heart. There's power in presence, isn't there? There's power in presence. Not just present physically, but emotionally. Not just present physically, but emotionally. Uh, I've, I've, I've come to a realization lately. In fact, I just had a conversation with Bria about this. I'm going to point Bria out. She's back there in the basketball uniform because we've got some more basketball games today where we're going to have some rest that probably make bad calls. And I'll let them know. And we'll see if they admit their wrongs. But I'll let them know in love and grace today, unlike I have in the past. But I came to the realization that Bria is almost five-sixths of the way out of our house. Br Micah, my second daughter, is two-thirds of the way. She's 12. So that magic number is 18, right, parents? Maybe. They'll be back. But we're five, six, and two-thirds of the way through to a major transition where they'll graduate high school and they'll have decisions to make, whether that's college, trade school, whatever, you know, selling them off. I don't want the next three years or six years of my relationships with my two older daughters to be defined with me looking at a phone. To me not being present, even when I'm in the room. Because they're two of my favorite people. I like them a little. And I love them a lot. You want better relationships? Put the phone down at lunch. Take the AirPods out while you're doing dishes. Because being present is two-way street. So there's two things I want to challenge you with, and we'll close. Number one, be present. And number two, be open. 
Now, now listen, I know as I said that, right, that's risky. Because I've done that before, Pastor. I've done that. I've done that. I've been present. I've been open. And it's only led to hurt. Well, let me tell you, that's okay. Kristen uh, Champa said it earlier from here, right? We're promised trouble. We're promised trouble. Trouble is going to come. Trouble is a reality. We're promised that. You know what I found out the other day? There are 18,500 people in the town of Gorham. 18,500 people in the town of Gorm. How many, how many of you are Gorm residents? Anybody? Okay, good. A lot of you. A lot of you. All right, 18,500 of us. Okay, 18,500 Gorm people. You know what I thought about as that was said to me um, the other day when I was walking around the building? 18,500 people. I don't have to be friends with all 18,500 people. Like, like, I hear 18,500 people, that's a lot of opportunity, right? And I'm not going to be friends with all 18,500 people. That's the reality. That's okay, right? Some, and, 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 and I don't have to be. But you know what I have to be? I have to be present, and I have to be open. And if somebody can't handle all of this, because it's a lot, that's okay. I don't have to be friends with them. But I can be friends with somebody. I can be friends with somebody. And so just because one goes wrong, just because two goes wrong, just because three go wrong, just because four go wrong, just because five go wrong, guess what? That sixth one might be a friend. Right? It might be a friend. And so be present, try it, and be open. And if people can't handle your openness and your presence, that's okay. But keep trying. But keep trying. But keep trying. And I would say that about church. Check out churches. Be present. Give them a fair shot. Open yourselves to them. And if some of church isn't it for you, that's okay. That's okay. But don't stop trying. Don't stop trying. Don't stop trying. Be present and be open. The worship team is going to come. And I'm just going to close with this thought, looking back to Jesus. If Jesus was looking for support, because that's what he's doing. I mean, he takes the disciples a certain way. He takes the disciples a certain way, and he, and he tries to bring Peter, James, and John a little bit further. If Jesus was support, if Jesus longed for these guys to be with him, how much more do we need support? If Jesus was longing for that, how much more do we need that? And don't assume, last thing I'll say, don't assume that people know you need their support. Don't assume that people know exactly how you feel about them. One of the things that, go, going, back to, going back to lying Jim, don't be a lying Jim. Right? Don't, don't, don't assume people know. It's the worst thing we can do. I was talking with the kids at Camp 207 back in August, the high schoolers, and, and, and one of the things that just struck me, I think I've said it from the pulpit a couple times this year, but I'll, I'll, I'll close with it here. It bothers me that the nicest things we say about people, more often than not, are at their funerals. Say the thing. If it means something to you, go tell them. Go tell them. Even if it seems ingenuine. I had a lady come up to me yesterday out of the clear blue. I'm sitting there watching Micah play another game. I'm not coaching. It was marvelous. And this lady came up to me. It was obvious that this was her only day in the gym. And she just looked at me and she said, I just want you to know I've been watching you all day. Creepy. I've been watching you all day, and I just want you to know, I think you are the best coach in this gym. 
and there's three basketball courts. There's multiple teams playing. I, was, I coached two games and, 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 and multiple coaches. Bria was sitting right next to me. She can, she can verify the story. She's like, I, you're just a bet. You don't yell at the kids. You don't yell at the refs. She didn't see the comment because I, I don't yell. I just slip those in as they're running by. Okay, because if you yell it, then they tee you up and it's not a good situation. Okay, but I just slide them in there, right? She's like, you don't yell. You just say what the kids need to hear. You support them. You cheer them on. You're great. You're the best coach. She walked away and Bria was like, she hasn't seen you coach against this team, right? <laughs> right? But it was awesome. I was just like, you know what? I, I needed that. I needed that. Thank you. Thank you for that encouragement. And she, and she left. And I don't know her name. I'll probably never see her again in my life. But if there's someone that's sitting around you this morning, and the Lord would put something on your heart to say to them, before they leave this place, say it. Go tell them. Go tell them. Go tell them, hey, it's just really good to see you here. I'm glad you're here. Hey, you remember when you did that thing, said that thing six months ago? I have not forgotten that. Thank you. Hey, I love you. Don't give up. You're not alone. It is a joy to be your pastor. I mean those things. Don't give up. You're not alone. It is a joy. It is a joy to be your pastor. So God, today, ultimately, If we trust in you this morning, God, we're not alone because you're with us. And God, even if your presence feels miles and miles and states and states away, you're with us. And so God, I pray that we wouldn't walk out of here lonely. That we would, but we would walk out of here in the recognition that you're with us, that we are loved, that we are cared for, and that no matter what the circumstances say in front of us, we're not alone. And so God, I pray that we would all feel that and believe that as we walk out of this room this morning. Thank you that the scripture is true, that Jesus experienced everything that we have experienced, that we will experience, this side of heaven. Jesus went through it all, even loneliness, yet remained without sin. And God, I thank you that we have a Savior to look to who knows our pain, who knows our hurt, and loves us just the way we are. In Jesus' name I pray.